0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Sorbonne Mesa podcast with me your host Alan Maguire. Today we have Catalan Regional Politics 101 and with me today I have Andrew Dowling. He is a lecturer at Cardiff University on Spanish history and he's also the author of The Rise of Catalan Independence, Spain's Territorial Crisis. Uh, thanks for joining me Andrew. You're Welcome. Uh, So, uh, most people would probably agree that if you move to Spain, there's quite a lot to catch up with, you know, to get to understand, adapt to life, and understand the politics is actually kind of, if you just look at it on a national level, you've got, you used to have the right and the left, Mm -hmm. two big parties, Um, and in recent years that's sort of been shattered um, by the rise of Vox and Podemos, but uh moving to barcelona um would be a bit of a different experience because the regional politics in barcelona and sorry and catalonia are very uh different um not just because of the the drive for independence but they have there's very they have um they have different powers they're one of the historical nationalities as it's put in the constitution Um, and Catalan um, politics has developed its own sort of image over time and there's the the, they've got the national parties in there but they've also got their own uh, sort of parties so where does where does the who's who's governing at the moment and and what's the sort of landscape of the regional politics in Catalonia Um, how does that relate to the the National Congress, and also how does it relate to the independence referendum back in 2017?
1: Right, okay. Well, since, since se- September 2015, there was a very important um, Catalan election, which they termed a plebiscite on independence, and there was a broad coalition called um, Together for Yes, Jumps, Pulls, C and they won the elections but they fell short so they were forced to rely on a a radical left nationalist party called the CUP uh, which I may come back to but to cut a long story short since September 2015 until the present explicitly pro-independence parties have been ruling in the Catalan regional parliament in Barcelona so you have a clearly committed program for separation. Now One of the issues and i think this has determined some of the problems that the movement has had is that in the election in september 2017 uh, 2015 rather they won the total vote for pro-independence parties was 47.8 percent of the vote however because of the character of the electoral system the distribution of seats they actually won a clear majority of seats And that has been replicated in every election since and is highly likely to be replicated in the next elections, which are due for February 2021. So you have this kind of strange imbalance where you've got a majority of pro independent seats in the parliament, but you haven't got a clear majority of the vote in the sense that in no election so far has Catalan independence won 50% of the vote. For a variety of reasons to do with internal differences, and I think the internal differences are really important in this pro-independence coalition. So, for example, I'd compare it uh, quite clearly with the case of Scotland, where you have one pro-independence party, everyone's within the pro-independence party, whereas in Catalonia you've got three pro-independence parties, and there's been a lot of internal factionalism, a lot of internal squabbling. Mm. To cut a very long and convoluted and complex story, a decision was made in early 2017 um, that the only way to sort of resolve the issue was to call a referendum. Um, And that was partly to ensure the support of the radical left. Cook party and in June 2017 it was officially announced that the Catalan government was, was going to hold its own referendum which then obviously took place on the 1st of October 2017. Now I know it's really important to talk about the referendum because the referendum is a before and after moment. Everything that kind of was said about Catalan independence before really kind of came unstuck, began to unravel and we're very much in a new terrain. The first, what, the first thing to state, really, and I'm happy to come back to this, is that the 1st of October 2017 is a, a victory and a defeat. And I'm happy to spell out what I mean by that. So I'll leave it back to you. No,
0: I mean, yeah, that sounds interesting. So what was it that, what was it that you said as it came unstuck uh, that was before the referendum and, and after? And, okay. and, and what was the winning and the losing of the referendum?
1: Yeah, okay. So firstly, since 2012, really, when Catalan independence becomes really big on the political plane and becomes really dominant in Catalan political culture, it's the major issue. It's got the biggest block of votes. It's got an incredible push on the street. There's sort of three principal narratives that it said. Firstly, that it would be easy for Catalonia to leave Spain. That was very, you know, you can go back and look at all of the stuff to do with the Catalan National Assembly or the political parties that, a bit like Brexit, um, a narrative was framed where it was going to be easy, okay, Uh that it was going to be an easy separation. It's clear that the events of the 1st of October 2017 show that it's not going to be easy. The second element I think that's really important was the, um, the belief that a door was essentially waiting in the European Union, and it would be a simple matter of Catalonia leaving Spain and joining the European Union. Um, that avenue is clearly closed off, and you know, just last week, the European Parliament passed a re- resolution re- um, rejecting the right of self-determination within the constituent countries of the European Union. So that, wow. so that. Simple narrative that it's going to be easy to leave Spain, that it's going to be easy to join the European Union as an independent Catalonia. Remember that the first big mass demonstration of over one million people in 2012, September 2012, on the Catalan National Day, its official slogan was Catalonia, a new state in Europe, 2012. Uh So those two avenues have proven to be unreliable at best. The third one, as I think, um, refers to what I said about that they haven't yet won 50% of the vote, and they have kind of recognised that it's not sufficient to try to break from Spain with a figure of 48% of the vote. And that's why, particularly in the case of um, some of the mainstream um, Catalan pro-independence forces, they're now talking about how imperative it is to get over 50% of the vote. So you had those three strands, which were kind of, you know, the, the internal myths, really, of the pro-independence struggle that it was going to be an easy separation. Mm. In terms of the referendum, the referendum was a very complex event and obviously the Spanish government had um, deemed it illegal. It was a victory because of the, the catastrophic policing on that day. Everybody remembers the footage that went, you know, global of vicious unrestrained police violence against innocent voters, innocent protesters, and it did enormous damage, did enormous damage to the reputation of Spain globally, And it sort of gave a great fillip to the Catalan movement. The paradox, of course, is that because of those three, if you want, simple myths that Catalan independence had been built on, their actual attempt at independence, which they officially declared on the 27th of October 2017, was built on sand. They declared independence, but they had no capacity to follow through. So they obtained a great political victory through terrible Spanish policing and the terrible handling of it by the Spanish government, but then they subsequently entered the terrain of a a clear defeat because they couldn't follow through on the promise of independence. And since October 2017, Catalan independence is in crisis, coming to terms with having to deal with the reality of its own myths about the process, and also having to deal with the fact that it has not got the strength to break with Spain. And that's why we see incredible, intense internal squabbling, internal fighting going on in the Catalan independence movement over the past three years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to add to that. I I interviewed um, Tobias Buck, who's written the book uh, After the Fall. He was the Financial Times correspondent uh, in Spain at the time. And he said, you know... Uh, and he, in my interview with him he, you know the foreign correspondents actually did a big service because they were the only ones sort of travelling between Madrid and Barcelona as it were to mm-hmm. cover both sides of the story where anyone that was in Spain at the time and and, and I was here on the, most Spanish media only covered the one side of the story um, so yeah the international media sort of um, reporting on the the violence from the police
1: is a is a big issue. Absolutely, no, they they did a, a really sterling job. You know, I, I can remember you know going back early days in October. You had the Spanish um, foreign minister, whose name escapes me but he was on the BBC claiming this footage was fake and you know this was laughable and you even had the BBC correspondent saying but I saw with my own eyes <laughs> the, the police yeah. hit so you know yeah. the, the the damage done to the image of Spain was 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 really uh, yeah. appalling but it's also to do with um you know the incredible dialogue of the deaf, really, which you kind of alluded to, that's gone on. Um, that you know the Catalans sort of talk to themselves, and and then if you want Madrid, in inverted commas, that kind of symbol of Madrid, in yeah. inverted commas of government power, political power, economic power, judicial power, again has has handled this whole whole issue so appallingly. Um, you know the government of Mariano Rajoy. It, 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 you had, for example, in in the case of Madrid, and you know, in, in inverted commas, the Spanish government hoped that that, and they spoke in these terms, that this whole Catalan independence issue was was a souffle and it would rise and fall. Well, they mm. got that wrong, and they completely yeah. miscalculated, and they never dealt with the issue until it was too late. Equally, I mentioned the own myth, the the myths on the side of Catalan independence, as I said, this myth that we could break with Spain, it was gonna be easy, that we'd get recognition in the European Union, and then we could do it with the support we currently have. Uh Uh, So both sides were kind of not talking to each other and also constructing their own kind of myths that suited themselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, one myth I've always heard, from, you know, from from people based around Andalusia, Madrid and things, is the Catalans just want what the Basques have got, which is, you know, sort of talking about the fi- the historic financial arrangement where the Basque country can collect its own taxes. Um you know, that was a myth on although they will never get independence, they're just bluffing was sort of like the myths on the Spanish side, really.
1: Yeah, I think certainly there's an. I, what I would say is that there were the, the push for the referendum, the holding of the referendum. There were kind of three strands to it. There was the that strand you've just spoken about, which is essentially the referendum or the push for independence is a mechanism, is a lever to achieve more concessions from Madrid. So mm-hmm. ask for independence and maybe get more powers. And I think that's definitely a component within the movement. I think the second category, and it's why they held the inter referendum. I mean, in a way, they were victorious partly victorious, is hold the referendum for Spain through international intervention, which is what they sought, to the negotiating table. Uh Um, And they they certainly achieved it in terms of international media attention, but there was no follow-through because the other thing, of course, to note, which I didn't mention, is after October the 27th, 2017, when the Catalan Parliament declared independence, there is not one country in the world that has recognized that Declaration of Independence, it fell completely flat. Mm. And you know this hope for that the UN would intervene or that the European Union would intervene, they also fell flat as well. Mm. And the final third category, I think within the independence referendum are what I'd call the true believers who believed it was a real referendum, who believed that this real referendum would lead to lead to separation from Spain and that independence was in the bag. I think that's another important component. And part of the kind of, the tensions have been clearly the mismatch, I think, um, in Catalonia between the rhetoric of political leaders and also what they were saying to themselves. There's There's some excellent stuff been written about, you know, that kind of, they had this official public narrative but they knew really that they couldn't follow through. Uh-huh. So they, they, they pulled. There are a large number of Catalans who who believed what what they were being told that independence was in the bag. So you get things like you know radio or TV Catalan correspondents saying "Welcome to the Catalan Republic," you know on the on the first of October, and they 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 were true believers. They believed the narrative they were being sold.
0: Uh-huh. And I'll come back to that true believers because that's another myth that I want to uh, ask you about. But before I go there, I wanted to ask you about about the three parties within the the pro-independence uh, coalition, because it's not a coalition of uh, of the left or of the right. It's it's across the board, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to ask, you know, what are the parties in it? And, you know, could you give us a little bit of history and how they've sort of come to this point? Because I know that not all of them have always been pro-independence and could you give us a and like who's the biggest and, and the smallest and
1: yeah okay well well, I'll, really briefly I'll just say for example from after Catalan after Franco we get the obviously the, the creation of the statute of autonomies and from 1980 until 2003 you have a big mainstream Catalan Nationalist Party, Convergencia Union, or Convergence and Union, led by a really prominent figure, Jordi Pujol. Uh-huh. That has, that, that block has shattered. And the sort of the remnants of that enormously powerful block that won six elections in Catalonia um, between 1980 wow. and 2003, that, what's left of that, the remnants of that now, is uh, are together in this party called Junts per Catalunya, together. For Catalonia, and mm-hmm. they've they've had to break with the heritage of convergencia, with convergence and union. They had to break with that heritage, partly because of the um, the issues of corruption associated with their founder and leader. So they had to kind of like go through a, a kind of operation of cleansing, improving their branding, improving their public uh-huh. image. So it's been through various iterations since two thousand and ten, and the current one is Junts per Catalunya, uh, as I said, together for Catalonia, and that's led by the guy in exile, of course, the leader in exile, Carlos Puigdemont, and
0: uh-huh. they're
1: sort of what we could call the legitimists. They recognize the referendum, of the 1st October 2017, and they're really the sort of the hardline pro-independence people. So what's interesting is that Convergencia Unión you know, in the 80s and the 90s, this mainstream nationalist party was pretty moderate, but now, and it's center-right, now the center-right is radical and hard line. Mm. The other strand uh, barely existed really in the 80s and 90s. It begins to emerge in the late 1990s is um, a historic Catalan party, Esquerra Republicana de Catalunya. So the Republican left of Catalonia, it traces a history back to the early 1930s. It it, it was pretty low profile for most of the 80s and 90s, but it, it begins to grow in the late 1990s and it forms a coalition with the socialists and others in Catalonia in 2003. And after 2010, there's an increasingly really bitter battle between the two pro-independence parties, what we can call post-convergencia, which is now Junts per Cat, and Esquerra Republicana. One on the centre-right, one on the centre-left. And that bitter struggle continued right up until the referendum and has continued ever since. So, so in theory, they're part of a coalition government, but, you know, their their relations are pretty poor. The mm-hmm. third element is a radical left formation that comes from the extra parliamentary sphere, which is um, called the Candidatura de Unidad Popular, the Popular Unity Candidature, which brings together a range of far left, radical left, radical nationalist organisation under its umbrella, and that gets about six to ten seats in the Catalan Parliament, but it's been really important as well um, after 2015 because much of the time the the mainstream centre-left and centre-right Catalan parties needed its support, so it's been able to achieve really meaningful concessions, and arguably the referendum of the 1st of October 2017 was an attempt to buy off the coup was an attempt to buy off the referendum because that referendum had never been proposed in the um, in the policy platforms in the manifestos of those two parties. So you've got this radical left coup, you've got a centre-left Esquerra Republicana and you've got a centre-right veering I would argue actually into populism, middle-class populism today, Junts per Catalunya with its kind of leader over the water, its leader in exile, Carlos
0: Puigdemont. How does that translate into national politics? Because I know that the Catalonia in the past, along with the Basque Country, have often played a part in supporting the PSOE or the PP in mm-hmm. minority governments. Um, but how does all of this translate to national politics after the referendum? So, what's well, like yeah. the current landscape? I mean.
1: Yeah, well the interesting thing is until the 1st of October 2017, in one sense the Scarra Republicana was the most radical pro-independence party, uh-huh. whereas the Junts, what's says today Junts per Cat, was much more kind of hesitant, much more cautious. Those roles have now been reversed, so the centre-left Scarra Republicana is, is very much part of those that believe the referendum was a wonderful achievement but it's not enough and we have to kind of build social support we have to get more support for the independence cause before we try again mm-hmm. so, so they're what you can call that they've taken up from being radical pro-independence they've become more pragmatic pro-independence so you know a little bit more like nicola sturgeon we're going to get there but we've got to we've got to plan this out carefully right. whereas the junts for cat people have really radicalized since the 1st of October and said there are no relations with Spain we don't essentially care about Spain we don't care who's in power in Spain we're not going to we're not going to support your budgetary measures or we're not going to support any attempts to remove uh, Mariano Rajoy and, and you know and they didn't participate in that or those that did were punished and kicked out of the formation Um, by Carlos Puigdemont so it's kind of like it's it's and they talk about this it's the spirit of the 1st of October so there's a kind of claim this was a real referendum and we embody the true spirit of Catalan independence and relations are so bad they often call the Esquerra Republicana side essentially traitors for for now sort of negotiating with Spain for trying to deal with Spain for sort of you know approving the new Spanish budget just Uh just recently you know and, and a lot of um pylons on social media as well social media is really important for some of the for the for some of the building of some of these narratives Uh so 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 that that that's also um very much going on but I think the other thing as well I, I think that is very important um not to forget is that you know there are important Catalan leaders who are in prison now whether they're political prisoners or politicians who are in prison um i'm happy to sort of consider or talk about that Wh- whatever your view on that is it's an incredible wound in catalan society the vast majority of catalan society whatever their opinion on the independence cause, whether they're in favor or against you know really think that those incredibly harsh sentences between nine and 13 years for for those that organize the referendum is just an appalling mm-hmm. way to, to deal with the issue. And it and it's again, Madrid, um, you know, damage it, making a bad situation worse with these incredibly harsh sentences. So mm-hmm. that's an open sore as well. And that really makes it difficult for say, a pragmatic approach to independence to gain much traction. And we'll see what the final results are um, in February, 2020, 2021, when they have the new elections, but really mm-hmm. those two blocks, the centre-left Esquerra and the centre-right verging on populism, of Carlos Puigdemont's Junts per Cat, you know, are, are at loggerheads and are fighting for every last scrap and every last vote to see who can lead the cause after after the next round of elections.
0: And so, yeah, you talk about making make this this the jailing of 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 the um, of the organizers was has made it a lot more difficult to. Um, to manage the Catalan independence, uh, the question, as a lot of people call it, on yeah. a on a national and regional level. Um, but can you go into a bit more detail about what these people were jailed for? Where do they currently stand? Um, and 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 how is? I mean, I know Esquerra Republicana are currently supporting the Psoe sort of coalition with Podemos. Um, how how are Thing, oh, sorry, what were they jailed for but how can things in that area affect the politics
1: as well? So, so I'd separate out the, um, the those imprisoned into two categories really. There's the political leadership and then there's these two leaders of cultural organisations so the two leaders of cultural organisations are Jordi Sánchez from the, the as- Assemblea Nacional Catalana, the Catalan National Assembly and then Jordi Cuchart from the cultural organization, the Catalan cultural organization Omnion Cultural. They were jailed for their role on what happened on the 20th of September, 2017, when um, there was a big protest because the Spanish police were trying to confiscate a lot of documentation apparently related to the organization of the referendum. So it's pre-referendum and they're the ones who are essentially the, the footage of them standing on top of a Guardia Civil police car Uh Um, trying to get the crowds to disperse and they were accused of rebellion and sedition Uh and okay the rebellion charge was rejected but they were they were convicted of sedition which i think all independent observers i know think that's an incredibly harsh judgment on what they were trying to do these two individuals are known pacifists they're known for their history of kind of like peaceful activism and so on uh-huh. and so forth so i think those two are really really raw uh-huh.
0: for,
1: for ordinary people in catalonia the second category is the political leadership um which includes the former president of the catalan parliament uh carma and leading figures in the two main parties who were Convicted for explicitly organising the referendum of the first of October two thousand and seventeen, uh-huh. and they were also accused of rebellion,
0: uh-huh. um,
1: the charge that was not he- upheld, and sedition and misuse of public funds. Okay, mm-hmm. that, so because they were conv- because they're uh, you know. Um, Elected politicians, the the misuse of public funds charge was I think was particularly easy to demonstrate, uh-huh. and then the charge of sedition. The charge of sedition was really controversial because of course German and Belgian courts refused to recognise these charges, yeah. refused to extradite people. Uh-huh. The, the charge of rebellion, in my view, was laughable. The idea that the you know because it, they, they were making comparisons with what you know Franco and his forces did in July nineteen thirty six an armed rebellion against the government forces. I mean, I think clearly, you know, whoever, wherever you sit on this question, it's pretty clear that those politicians broke the law and knowingly broke the law. Um, They admitted it and they claimed that they were breaking the law. So it's kind of problematic, but I think what should actually have happened to them. But I think the sentences, for me, the sentences are unbelievably harsh. Uh Um, this is because they are convicted of the in particular, you know, the the deputy leader of Esquerra Republicana, or certainly the former leader rather of Esquerra Republicana, Oriol Junqueras, the high is he's, he's you know, he's in prison for thirteen years. Jesus. You know, murder you know, literally murderers um, get lower sentences, um, you know, depending on on the the causes for that for for that color level of violence. So it's an unbelievably and you can go through. The Spanish judicial system, and see who gets, you know, rapists, for example, are, are unlikely to get thirteen years imprisonment. Mm, yeah. but for what, although it was a very highly controversial measure, the organising of this referendum, I think the punishment, in my view, does not meet the does not fit the crime.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, and I suppose that's um uh similar to you know them jailing rappers who have made questionable statements about doing something to the king or you know it's um it's the judicial system in spain is uh is a a completely different podcast episode you could say
1: (laughs) um yeah no i think it's a it's a very necessary one at some point yeah
0: yeah um definitely Um, So at the moment, uh, Esquerra Republicana have got quite a few seats in the National Congress, and I think they Mm -hmm. are polled to win the regional elections come February. Is that right?
1: That is right. But um, the only thing to watch out for is that every single um, poll um, that's been held um, in the past five years in Catalan elections, and this was the example, for example, in the December 2017 election, um, that was enforced by the Spanish government after, you know, after sacking the Catalan regional government. Esquerra Republicana were favourites to win, but they they lost out at the last minute. So they've never actually clearly won an election. So it's really, it's clearly really important to them. But I think because of the prisoners and because of the general situation in so many other areas as well, it's really hard for... It's in in a sense, if if Escandal Republicani, if you say that they're the moderate voice today of Catalan independence, it's really hard to be moderate when it's really hard to maintain that moderation and be heard when other people in the movement are so strident uh-huh. and condemn you for negotiating with Pedro Sanchez, condemn you for for supporting the Spanish budget measures, condemn mm. you, condemn you for various other measures. So you know it. it it's almost like Esquerra public can have to kind of radicalise a bit their narrative in the next few weeks mm-hmm. um, to ensure that they, they're not sort of pushed aside. So uh-huh. I think lots of things can happen. Um, Carlos Puigdemont is, is, is an unusual individual really in many senses, but he, he's also got quite a few Catalans really admire him. They think he's Fine. kind of, uh, he, you know, he's, he's a really powerful symbol for their movement. So he's going to be, you know, campaigning directly for this juntz um candidature, you know, obviously by video link and stuff. Like but he, he really has, he's got a big audience there and he, uh-huh. he and people really, you know, some people, not all people, but some people really do listen to what he's got to say. Right.
0: And it's often said that he he was sort of a reluctant person to become the leader, if, if I remember rightly.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he he's... And I use this in perhaps the kindest of senses, really. He's a provincial politician until he was catapulted um, into, you know, the presidency of Catalonia. All he'd ever been was, um, you know, the mayor of Girona, which is not a particularly large, large city in Catalonia Mm. or in the rest of Spain. So, you know, he was, he was the, uh, the mayor of a small to medium sized city. That's all he'd done in his political life. And I'm not, disrespecting anybody who's a mayor of a small to medium-sized city but he hadn't participated at all in the national yeah. political stage um so he he was suddenly thrust into the limelight but he comes from a territory that is very strongly pro-independence he's always been pro-independent so he, he you know he doesn't have to prove or demonstrate to anyone that he's a new convert it's uh-huh. always been part of his dna so he has for those that admire him he has that kind of authenticity about him
0: uh-huh and and how does um spain's uh not spain's catalonia's um regional president kim tora sort of measure up against punch de because we haven't talked about him yet and i think he's been quite important over the last sort of year really with regards to you know um the spanish government trying to remove him from his post um mm-hmm because he put a few yellow ribbons out on a government building during an election.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what's? Could you tell us a bit about him? Yeah, I mean, he, 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 he again, he comes from a completely non-political background in the sense of participation in a political party. He, he's, a, he's a practicing Catholic. He's quite a conservative figure, really, very traditionalist. But also being pro-independence is very much part of his DNA. So I think in many senses, he was a very poor president um, in terms of kind of political stature. He was clearly out of his depth. He didn't really know what he was doing, but he did attach great importance to symbols. And, you know, symbols can be really powerful things in a political struggle. So, for example, that issue that you mentioned about the yellow ribbons, that he explicitly did it. He knew he was breaking the law, but he was prepared to sort of follow through on that action so I, I think um, it's interesting actually I think since he's been removed from office he's almost forgotten I don't think history will be particularly kind to him I don't think he was a great leader he certainly you know lapped any real kind of charisma or any kind of like clear policy direction or something uh-huh. but he was a true believer in the cause uh-huh. so he has that kind of element he was personally chosen by Carlos Puigdemont I think he was personally chosen by Carlos Puigdemont almost as a poor leader because Carlos Puigdemont didn't want to be outshined by right. somebody in, but in Barcelona who's better than him who begins to attract all of the attention and uh-huh. really there's no danger of that ever happening with somebody like Kim Torra he's a publisher you know he he publishes kind of like essays and literature right. from the 1930s so he's quite he's quite a somber individual he, he he's not normally somebody you would put in front of the cameras to be interviewed on a, about political life yeah. so he was a deliberate you know if you want to be harsh you can say Mont chose a mediocrity um, yeah to, to ensure that he was not kind of like displaced uh-huh I think Kim Torre essentially but nobody will remember who he is in two years' time yeah.
0: And um, so, I hope I do hope you'll come back on the show after the regional elections in February and and do a bit of a breakdown for us. That'd be great. Um, yeah, I'd be i be delighted to. I've got one last question for you, and it's a bit separate to politics. Um, is well, it's obviously linked to Catalonia, but there's this sort of I don't know, and, and I'm going to put it in a very cynical way because that's the way I've heard it from um, not all Spanish people, but you know. A, a fair majority it's one of these myths that goes around Spain was you know you, you refer to people as true believers mm-hmm. um and there's often this um this myth that the Catalans learn a different history they've got a different education system because education is a regional is a regional mm-hmm. power here and you know they've sort of indoctrined these poor Catalans to believe that they're completely different to the rest of Spain. Um I mean, that's a very extreme version of the myth, but obviously there's different versions uh, of varying degrees out there. But, um, you know, what What would you say to, to this sort of narrative? And I'd be okay. interested to hear your take on it.
1: Yeah, well, I've certainly heard that. And, and what I would say to people then is how do you explain, for example, if you compare, say, the 1930s to, say, the death of Franco, how would you explain that at the end of the Franco regime, Catalans had a stronger sense of their culture and identity, even though they'd been through 40 years of the Francoist system, which told them nothing about their history and identity because it was just not on the agenda. It yeah. wasn't featured in the history books. Uh-huh. So how would you how would you explain that one to me? I think that's what I would pose to anybody yeah. um, positing that question. Yeah, and, and, and I think the other one you'll often hear as well is about Catalan television as it is as, as also part of yeah. this... Um, system of indoctrination. I think Catalans, firstly i would say Catalans have a very strong sense of themselves, identity and it's kind of people don't, people aren't indoctrinated by the media, people choose the media that kind of suits their point of view. You know mm. I don't buy, I don't buy ABC or I don't, I don't buy La Razon because their, their, their perspective is so alien from my own values. I don't buy the Daily Telegraph either. <laughs> so uh, you know so, so and th- just uh, just to finish really, so Catalan television is often seen as this uh, this source of indoctrination of ordinary people where, candor, yeah, yeah, and I think there is some truth in that that it it clearly pushes a pro independence stand, however, the audience figures in Catalonia for how many people watch catalan television t v three the main channel it gets thirteen percent of the audience, so even if, pump, even if it's pumping out 24-7 pro-independence propaganda, which it isn't, even if it was, that's only reaching 13% of the population. So how do you, spend, how do you explain the other, yeah. say, 35%? So there's clear, you know, I, I think all Spanish regional televisions have a lot to be desired. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like Televisión Madrid or whatever it's called. And, yeah. and, and um, there's, you know, there, there, there's certainly problematic areas in all of them. Um, But I think the the Catalans, you know, their identity is forged in history and it doesn't, you know, whether it's kind of a Francoist education system or a sympathetic education system as exists in in Catalonia, really it's only telling themselves what they kind of already knew or was transmitted in their families. Because, as I said, how on earth do you explain when, when, when or like the Kurds or something in Turkey, where then they're told nothing about their history because the Turkish education system refuses to recognize their existence how do you explain that the Kurds have such a powerful sense of identity so you know I I think this indoctrination angle it it really doesn't really work and is not a a very effective explanation
0: no and and it's probably you know it's kind of uh I think I see it on a national level as well that the same myths are recycled about Spanish people. So, you know, Tele, tele 1, uh, Channel 1 and Channel 2, which are the national uh, channels, they're so uh, different depending on who's in government, whether it's right or left. Um, and also this sort of myth that uh, I've heard a few times that, you know, Spanish colonialism in the South America wasn't that bad, um, which, you know, obviously it was. Um Obviously, there's you could compare that to Britain, I suppose, um, where there's still very bad education around the British
1: Empire as well. But uh, yeah, the the Michael Gove school of history, the glories of the British Empire. But um,
0: you know, these are problems that span not just Spain, but the whole of Europe um, and America. And uh, yeah, the the myths that I've just put to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for, for for for. for putting an alternative spin on them. That's great. Thank you very much, Andrew, for joining me and uh, giving us a crash course in Catalan regional politics. You're welcome. Um, And I hope that you will come back after the election and we can have another chat and we can get through a few more myths maybe and and, um, a bit more history about Catalan regional politics.
1: I look forward to that. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much, Andrew. So if you want to know more about Catalan independence, uh, please make sure that you buy Andrew's book, The Rise of Catalan Independence by Andrew Dowling. However, since this uh, podcast episode was recorded, uh, back in early January when I had lots of free time, uh, the polls have, as they do in politics, changed. So you may have heard me mention the ERC, that's Esquerra Republicana, the left-wing... Pro independence group in Catalonia. They were the favourites uh, in the polls to to gain a majority of the seats, not not all of them, but um, but to actually increase their vote share. Since then, um, there's been a sort of strange turn of events, which is the current um, coalition government. The biggest partner in the coalition government, the PSOE, the Spanish Socialist Party. Um, who are, you know, pro-Spain and also um, sort of centre-left politics have rapidly overtaken the ERC. Now the reason for this is because um, due to well, due to the popularity of the health minister, who for for those of you that don't know, health as a ministry in the government isn't a very big position because healthcare is managed by the community uh, the regional parliaments. And so, but in the time of a global coronavirus pandemic, the Minister of Health takes charge. And, uh, and because there was a state of alarm where healthcare, the powers of healthcare was, was centralized back to the central government, um, what what was originally uh many many speculate was like a token towards catalan society yes look we're going to put a catalan in in the health ministry turned into like elevated this uh very technocratic moderate um catalan uh whose name is ia um into the limelight of spanish you know it was on television in spain um nearly every day at the height of the pandemic so um, the Psoe with a stroke of well, what is probably a stroke of genius really, um, put him up as the candidature for for president of Catalonia. So every party that's standing uh, puts someone like at the top of their list who will uh, who if they gain enough seats will become the president of the Catalan Parliament. So. Uh, after a lot of flack, and, and probably quite rightfully, um, after a lot of flack, EA stood down a couple of weeks ago as the health minister, and he has gone on to campaign to become the Pessoa's candidate in the Catalan elections. Um, but, you know, as I said, healthcare is being managed by the community that is now, now that we're, um, now that healthcare care is... is is being de- has been decentralised again since the height of the pandemic. So um, you know there, there was a lot of throwing mud at him um, for this move, but you have to bear in mind that uh, his responsibilities as as um, the Minister of Health um, did did decrease a lot when the uh, communities over took the responsibility of healthcare again, and ever since he has become the candidate. PSOE have had a bounce. They they are calling it the IA effect in, in Spain. Um and it's even more comical, uh, especially to people that are healthcare workers, because there was a joke back in the pandemic where that oh you know our health minister is a philosopher, he studied philosophy at the university. Um but uh the IA effect has really bounced um the PSOE. Um, in front of the ERC, and they are now polling on a roundabout, uh, according to Politico, the uh, polling website Politico, they are on 22%, um, previously being at around 18% uh, back in November. So they've had a massive bounce, and The ERC, who were back on 23% in November, have actually gone down to about 20%. And third position is Jeune's Cap, which is uh, Punch de monts party. So those are the three parties that are are the highest in the polls. And the biggest party to lose a lot of um, seats, not just in the National Parliament, but is set to lose a lot of seats in the Regional Parliament, is... Uh, uh, Cirodanos, so the, the National Party Danos, uh back in 2017, um, won 25% of the vote. And now they are set to win just 10%. Podemos remain on the same. And the radical left CUP have uh, more or less increased their vote by 1%. And also, this will be the first time that Vox are set to stand in a regional election in Catalonia, and they are set to get 6% of the vote. So this election is set for the 14th of February. Uh, it was already the central... Go- well, no, the Catalan government did try to put it off again. It was already put off from last year because of the coronavirus, and they tried to push it back till May, but the courts told them that they have to continue with this Um with this election. So anything can happen between now and the actual election um, and obviously anything can happen during the election and the results that follow it. So please do keep an eye out. Uh, I think it will be an interesting time. If you want to follow the latest news you can always follow us on Twitter. Sobre Nessa Cast uh, is our tag so please do give us a follow. And also make sure you give us a follow on any of the podcast platforms, uh, the platform of your choosing. And if it does allow you to give us a review, then please do. I hope you have a nice week. I'll see you soon.